Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. The title for the sermon on this wonderful Resurrection Sunday is this phrase that comes out of uh, both out of Acts chapter 2 and out of Acts chapter 13 when the apostles were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And this phrase is that it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, that it was not possible for him to stay dead, that it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And that phrase is actually a a quotation or at least a a sort of an explanation of a phrase that was found in Psalm 16. And that's a phrase that I want to show you what it means by uh, patching together another five or six passages that explain what that means. And uh, on this particular Sunday morning, because I know that all of our um, kids are in here, this is a family service, this is not going to be, this is not going to be a super long sermon, uh, but it is going to be about Jesus and how it was impossible for Jesus to stay dead. As we prepare to open God's word, let's pray. Lord God, even now, by the preaching of your word, within these walls, let holy peace and love and concord dwell. Here, give the troubled conscience ease, the wounded spirit heal, the feeling heart, the weeping eye, the humbled mind bestow, and shine upon us from on high to make our graces grow. Even now, as we open your word, for Jesus' sake, amen. This Last year, I heard more times than I could count, more times than I've ever heard before, this sort of phrase. I'm sure you heard it too. Because of whatever happened lately on the news or whatever meltdown happened in our economy or in our healthcare sector or in the world, I kept hearing this phrase. If we don't fix things quick, this whole world is going to fall apart or Now that this and this and this has happened, I'm afraid we're past the point of no return. I've heard that more than ever in this last year. And I don't know if that's true or not, but my response to that sort of phrase is that first, it's a little too optimistic. And secondly, it's a little too out of date. Because I believe from the word of God that we hit that point in the third chapter of this book. We used to, we meaning we were in our father Adam, we were in our mother Eve, we. We used to walk with God in the garden, in shalom, where we didn't have to fear anything. But we broke that Shalom by our sin. Biblical theologians call what happened in Genesis 3 the fall. That's an okay word. It's got a little bit of biblical resonance, but you know, the, the Bible authors don't really use that word, the fall. What the word the Bible authors use time and time and time again throughout the Torah and the prophets and on into the New Testament is simply the word death, death, death that the day we sinned was the day we died. 
God said in Genesis 2, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's picked up in the law. That's picked up in the poetic writings. It's picked up in all of the prophets. In Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, multiple times in that chapter, Ezekiel says this uh, inescapable statement, the soul that sins shall surely die. The phrase continues when the apostles in the New Testament preach the gospel. Maybe you've heard of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says the wages of sin is death. Maybe you've heard the, uh, the way that Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says that death like rules the world and rules everything in the world. He says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The apostle there says that death rules all the passions within each individual, and it's the very air that pervades the world. And then because he was a gospel minister there in Ephesians 2, he turns looking upward toward the gospel and the resurrection when he says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So I'm preaching now. I preached in the early service at 8 a.m. I'm preaching now. If God gives me strength, I'll preach again at the service following this one as an evangelist, proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ and deliverance from sin. I am an evangelist in that sense. But did you know that years ago, a, a preacher said that death is like a perverted or an inverted evangelist. Death also speaks. And death tries to make eye contact with each person to whom death speaks. And death's message is, I'm coming for you. You cannot get away from me. I've got you. Death is an inverted or perverted evangelist who's coming for us. And the reason death is coming for us is because we have all sinned. You know, God said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From dust you were made to dust you will return. You'll be corrupted back to dust. God said that not before we sinned. He didn't say that while there was shalom in the garden. He spoke those words after Adam sinned and after we sinned in Adam. Death is coming for all of us. You know who knew that death was coming? Jesus knew his death was coming. Jesus had some best friends. He called them his disciples. Imagine this. What if you're a group of friends, your, your best friend in that group of friends for month after month after month, like almost every week, your best friend in that group says, hey, you know what? The day of my death is soon coming. 
You would think, well, is there some kind of medical diagnosis I don't know about, or is this person just sort of strange? You know, Jesus, in the three years that he spent with his fellows, his disciples, this, this statement keeps coming up. I'm reading it from Luke 9, but I could read this from so many places in each one of the Gospels. Jesus said repeatedly something like this, I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and I must be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus spoke about his death quite frequently when he was with his friends. It was sort of a strange thing to do. And yet we know that in his death, it would be impossible for the corruption of death to keep a hold of him. Jesus spoke of his death in John chapter 12. We read from John chapter 12 last week, if you were here in our Palm Sunday services, Jesus compared his death to planting a seed in the ground. Jesus says in John chapter 12, picking it up in verse 23, John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it, verse 25, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to fall into the ground and die, but then I will, he says, rise again. In the same chapter in verse 31, Jesus says in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Significantly, Jesus says there, my death is not just a judgment on me. His death is unique. Jesus says there, my death is the judgment of death. My death is the judgment against the ruler of this world. So maybe we begin to see why it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. From John 12, if you turn ahead just two chapters to John 14, verse 29. John 14 and verse 29. Jesus says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Very significant phrase at the end of verse 31. Jesus says, the prince of this world, the ruler of the realm of death, so to speak, is coming and he has no claim on me. So we know that Jesus spoke of his death dozens of times. And yet when Jesus speaks of his death, in John 12, he calls his death the judgment of this world or the judgment of death. And he goes so far as to say in John 14 that when death comes for him, when this perverted evangelist death comes for him and says, I've got you, you're mine, it's not possible because death has no claim on him. When we put these texts together, it helps us understand what the apostles meant by this little phrase, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If you want to see that phrase, we could see it in Acts 13. I'll just read it in Acts 2. It shows up in a sermon from 
Peter in Acts chapter 2 from Paul in Acts 13. Let's read the one in Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. Peter, an evangelist, is proclaiming the gospel like I'm trying to do in this service this morning. And he says in verse 22 of Acts 2, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's exactly what Jesus kept saying to his, to his fellows. As he walked with them, he said, I must suffer, I must die. He knew that day was coming. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. There's our phrase. He won't see the corruption of death. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will, make me, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence. See, this is a quotation from Psalm 16. So then Peter says, David, who wrote that psalm, was not just talking about David, but about Jesus. You see how he says it in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, the patriarch David, that he's dead and buried. And he says, there's his tomb right over there. You know that he's dead and buried. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We see the same thing in the lips of Paul in Acts chapter 13. They insist that when Jesus went into the grave, the corruption of dust didn't take over him because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What does it mean that it was not possible for him to be held by death? Jesus couldn't linger in the grave or return to the dust. Why not? Well, because Jesus was sinless because Jesus says when the ruler of this world comes for me, he finds nothing in me. Because Jesus was sinless and yet being God, he took on human flesh, he took on human nature. Being man, he was able to bear our sin on the cross. But because Jesus was sinless, it couldn't ultimately be said of him, from dust you came to dust you shall return. The corruption of dust will have its way with you just as it has with everyone else. It was impossible for him to return to the dust. Quoting Psalm 16, they say, it was impossible for his flesh to be corrupted. It was impossible for him to stay dead because Jesus, unlike the first Adam who was tempted and sinned, Jesus, the last Adam, went through this life. He lived a life like ours, yet without sin. So when he died, he didn't return to the dust. Here is the miracle that Jesus was able to die because God placed our sin upon his son. Here's the miracle that Jesus died bearing our sin. 
But here's the reality on the other side of that miracle. Jesus could not decay. Jesus could not remain dead. Jesus could not corrupt back into dust because sin and death has no hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He could not remain in the ground because the price had been paid and the penalty was born. And so he rose again. And so I preach the gospel to you the same way that it was preached to me in the very same words that it's been preached in the church down through the generations. I delivered to you as of first importance what I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins. Even that little three-letter word for is like a purposive conjunction or a, a purposive preposition in that little phrase. Christ died for our sins. And yet, because he was the Christ when he died, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so the church confesses this. Christ's body lay in the tomb for three days so that we would believe that Christ died for our sins. But Christ rose from the dead on the third day so that we would believe that the price for our sin had been paid and now in Christ we are alive. Christ's body lay in the tomb for three days so that we would believe that the wages of sin, being death, were fully paid. Christ rose from the tomb on the third day that we might believe that he is not dead but alive and that in him we live also. Christ died for our sins. I heard a wonderful little picture of this from a missionary couple recently. Not a, not a missionary couple that we support as a church, but they're, uh, the, they serve in an unnamed country in the Middle East where it's difficult to serve for Jesus. And this American couple has been living in that country for eight years. And they... Uh, took a quick trip to a neighboring country in a bus to do some business. And then in their bus, they were coming back to the country that they were serving in, that they have called their home uh, for eight years. This missionary couple was back, coming back. And at the, if you've ever visited another country or even gone down to Mexico, sometimes that border crossing, the line gets so backed up. The line at the border crossing was 36 hours long. I talked to one of you last week who pulled into Culver's. There were six cars. You're like, that's too many, and, you, and you're out. You'd like, rather go hungry than wait for nine minutes. This line is 36 hours long. And uh, the good news is the wife of this missionary couple, she's pregnant. And as you would have it, eight, eight and a half months pregnant. And as you would have it, she started feeling some contractions. So the bus driver flies out the door of the bus, finds the guards with their rifles, says, hey, look, 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 look who's on our bus. Wouldn't you know it, that bus was able to pull out of the line. It didn't take them 36 hours. It took them under 36 minutes to get past the border and, you know, back in. The point of the story is that everybody on the bus got through. Not because they earned it, not because it was their condition, but because they were on the bus with this woman who deserved and needed to get through. It 
was impossible for Jesus to remain dead. He deserved to be alive and to re-enter heaven. And if you are in Jesus, it is impossible for you to remain dead. But it is in every assurance that you will enter his presence when you pass through death. Not, not, not because of anything you've done. We get so wrapped up in our self-reflection, like at the end of my life, I want to have more good deeds than bad deeds. Well, I want to live in a wonderful world, so I hope you do more good deeds than bad deeds, but that ain't going to get you into heaven. It's the fact that you're, you're, you're just in seat number four on that bus, but Jesus deserves to get through, and you're getting through if you are in him. This is the good news of the gospel. Being Christ, being fully God, being fully perfect. Jesus did not sin, and he deserved no death. But being the son of man and fully man, he died in our place, taking our sin upon himself, taking our judgment upon himself. And so the atonement and the resurrection stand to each other in the relation of service and reward. So the atonement and the resurrection stand to each other in the relation of price and proof that the price has been paid. So the atonement and the resurrection, so the cross and the empty tomb stand thus in relation to each other. Oh, death is some sort of perverted evangelist in the old English uh, funeral service. It has this line in it. We, the church, consider death to be a broken power. What a line. To say it, I was at a graveside uh, two weeks ago preaching a graveside sermon. What, what a truth to confess. We, we who are in the bus with Jesus, we, the church, consider death to be a broken power. It was impossible for Jesus to remain in the grave. This is our gospel. If you are here and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus? Would you trust in him, not yourself? And would that trust show in a genuine repentance where you no longer want to walk in the darkness of sin and death, but you repent of that sin and you say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my master, I'm going to go his way now. And church, as you're here and you have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, oh, church, continue to place all of your confidence in him and know that because he gets through, because it was impossible for him to remain dead, therein is all of our hope and therein is certainty in our mission that he's given us to proclaim life in his name. Let's pray. Living and present Holy Spirit of God, only you caused these words in this holy book to be without error and to be living and now, Holy Spirit of God, only you can convince and convict every heart here of the veracity and authority and truth of each word in your holy word. So may these words 
that are sown by a weak human preacher, may they, may they be brought forth in the power of the Holy Spirit unto conviction and unto conversion for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.